And so he attempts to oppress them, to, to work them as slaves and to work them harder and harder. And the more he works them harder, the more they become fruitful and multiply. This, this conflict comes on them, but God begins to help them and helps them to become fruitful and multiply. And Pharaoh decides he can't work. He can't work the Israelites into submission, and so he's going to just destroy them. He's going to kill them, and he's going to start by killing the baby boys. And so he has a plan that the midwives are going to, to kill baby boys as they come. Girls, they'll let live, but boys, they're to kill. But the, but the, the, the midwives, Shapura and Pua, uh, they, they rebel against Pharaoh's plan. They fear God instead of Pharaoh, and, uh, and so they do not kill the boys. The boys continue to come and Pharaoh calls them into his, his throne room and, and asks them what, what's going on. They, they tell him a story um, and, and God blesses them, blesses them with life. Even in the midst of, of death, when, when Pharaoh is trying to kill off the Israelites, the Hebrews, God is giving promise of life and actually giving life to, to those midwife women. Pharaoh then continues on. He has a, he has a new plan. He's going, to, he's going to have all the Egyptians throw all of the Hebrew boys that are born into the Nile. And again, another cycle of conflict. Pharaoh, Pharaoh is opposed to, to the Hebrews growing any longer. And he thinks that he can just destroy them through both oppression and through death. And I've said a couple different times that those tools are the same tools that are used against us even today. That, that Satan tries to convince us that we are slaves to sin and that, that death, slavery and death are the tools that Satan uses against us. But God, God frees us from the slavery to sin and he gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we have hope today there's a conflict and resolution story happening all through Scripture from the beginning to the end, and we see it lots of times here in Exodus. I, I mentioned to you early on that one of the things that we see over and over in these first books comes from Joseph when he told us in Genesis. Uh, he says to his brothers, what you, meant, what you meant for evil against me, God meant for good. And that's the cycle that we see here all of these evil things that rise up, all of these things that Pharaoh tries to do, all of these things that Pharaoh means for evil against the Israelites, God uses for good. And we're going to see that even today in Exodus chapter 2. Last week, we looked at the beginning of chapter 2, the story of, of, of a woman who, who for nine months anticipated, anticipated having a baby, not knowing whether or not it would be one of the protected girls or one of the despised boys. And when it's a boy, they, they don't know what to do. They protect him. They hide him for several months. And finally, she builds, she builds uh, an ark. She, she covers a basket and waterproofs a basket and does put him in the Nile. And that baby, that baby then is found by Pharaoh's daughter and is pulled up out of the basket, pulled up out of the Nile and adopted into that family. And last week I shared that, that God works together all things for his glory. He uses bloodthirsty and murderous leaders like Pharaoh. He uses faithful and purposeful mothers like Jacobed. And he uses curious and compassionate strangers like Pharaoh's daughter to bring about his glory. 
Moses was named because she drew him out of the water. But the picture that Moses, the author, wants the Israelites to see is that he wasn't just drawn out of the water, but he was drawn out of of slavery, drawn out of the oppression that the other other Israelites were experiencing. He was drawn out of, of, of being enslaved and brought into, drawn into royalty, brought into brought into the royal family, Pharaoh's family. Part of what happens in Exodus is that Moses wants, as, he, as he's writing it, as he's the author and is writing it out, he knows that as he shares these stories with the Israelite people, after, remember they, they get the story after they've, after they've been brought out of Egypt. As they remember the story, as they hear these early parts of the story, he wants them to, to look back and to remember those stories, but he wants them also to see the foreshadowing of what's to come. And so even, even in the midst of this, even in, the, in this story, he wants, them, he wants them to see that as Israel cries out, they're going to be pitied, that they're going to be rescued from certain death in the sea that they're going to, to be moved from oppressed slaves into a royal priesthood. He wants them to see, he wants them to remember what's happened to them and to see that God was preparing them all the way through, that there was a foreshadowing going on. And you know and, and I know that scripture doesn't just point to the foreshadowing of what happens from the beginning of Exodus to the end of Exodus. But all of Scripture is being foreshadowed there. That it's not just Moses who was the only baby rescuer that was born in Scripture, but that Jesus also has a story much like Moses's. I think Exodus is written so that we might see what's coming in Jesus. That Jesus is the basket, is the ark for us to be rescued, that Jesus is the one who hears our cries, that Jesus is the one who draws us out and rescues us, that Jesus is the one who intercedes on our behalf as Miriam did for Moses. Jesus is the one who moves us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Jesus is our rescuer. Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is our only hope. And that's what we see here in this next part of Exodus chapter 2. Let's read together. Exodus chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 11. It's page 45 if you're using a pew Bible this morning. One day, when Moses has grown up, he had went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, And they came and drew water and filled their troughs to water their father's flock. Shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? 
They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call, call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During these many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This passage here in Exodus chapter 2, the main character, the prime character that we see is Moses. We see what Moses did, and what Moses thought, and what Moses heard But we know, even as we looked at those last verses there, we know the real prime character, the prime mover in all of this is God. But let's look just for a little bit before we get to those last verses of what what happened with Moses. Moses was drawn up out of the water and brought in to Pharaoh's family. And then we read this next verse, verse 11, says that Moses had grown up had grown up. We know from other parts of Scripture, both in Acts chapter 7, that was on the screen when you came in this morning, Stephen, if you remember that part of our our journey through Acts, Stephen uh, preaches to the Israelites and tells the story of of the covenant that God made uh, all the way through to Jesus. And he spends a particular time on Moses, and you saw that on the screen. He, He shares that Moses was... 40 on this day when Moses had grown up. We also see some of this story in Hebrews chapter 11. We read part of Moses' story there as well. But we know that 40 years have passed since Moses was drawn up out of the basket, out of the water. Moses, Moses in the, this part of the story is not a, he's not a teenager. He's not even a young adult. Moses has had 40 years of growing up in Pharaoh's household. 40 years. And so it's good for us this morning to think about what happened in those 40 years. We know that Pharaoh or that Moses was was taught and instructed in the wisdom of the Egyptians. That's what you saw in Stephen's in Stephen's sermon if you saw that on the screen as we came in. Moses was instructed, it says, in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Moses was a part of Pharaoh's household, grew up as a part of Pharaoh's household. He is Egyptian. In fact, if, if you heard it in the story, when the, the priest's daughters, at the second part of this story, when they talk about the man who helped them at the well, they say, an Egyptian helped us at the well. Moses is Egyptian, even though he is Hebrew, even though he comes from an Israelite family, he is Egyptian. He grew up in Pharaoh's household. He, he, he knows all of the things that Pharaoh's children know. They, he grew up in those schooling. He, he looks like an Egyptian. He carries himself as an Egyptian. For 40 years, he has lived as an Egyptian. But he's also 
Hebrew. He's also part of the Israelites. And it's easy for us, I think, to begin to let our, our, our eyes linger on the palace that Moses is growing up in and forget that for 40 years, while Moses is being trained in the wisdom of the Egyptians, the Israelites are oppressed and enslaved. We, we read the story, we see that the, the baby has been drawn up out of the basket. The rescuer, we know, has been drawn up out of the basket. And, 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 and we think, oh, the good times are right around the corner. The rescue is right around the corner. But it's 40 years since the baby was drawn out of the basket. For 40 years, the Hebrews have continued to live lives oppressed by slavery. But Moses... He's not just Egyptian, but he's also Hebrew. He's been taught by his mother. We know early on he, he was nursed by his mother probably for several years. He still lived with his mother before he was brought into Pharaoh's palace. We can assume that he probably continued to have relationship with his mother even after those years. He, he was Hebrew. In fact, the scripture tells us a little bit that it, it says um, in verse 11 that he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. That's how he identifies, not just as Egyptian, but also as Hebrew. He's a part of both. He's a part of the palace, and he's part of the oppressed. Moses had grown up for 40 years. Moses had grown up, but we also see that Moses looked, he tells us here. He looked he looked a couple of times that I think are important for us to note. He looked in, in verse 11, he went out and he looked on their burdens. That Moses, Moses has a, a, a soft heart. Three times in this story, Moses reaches out in compassion and fights against injustice. Moses has a heart like God's. A heart of compassion, a heart that pities those who need to be rescued and need to be helped. He rises up against injustice. It's easy for us to see how God might be using Moses, how, how Moses is going to be the hero in the story. We, we see that, we know it, it's already coming, but we can even begin to see it here. Moses looks out on his people, he sees the burden that has been put on them. And as this, as this Israelite, as this Hebrew is being beaten, maybe even about to be killed, Moses responds against that injustice. But he also tells us in chapter, or in, in verse 12, he looked on the burdens, it said in verse 11, but he looks again here in verse 12, and this looking has a whole different connotation, I think. In verse 12 it says, he looked this way and that, seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Moses looks on the burden, he looks on this Egyptian that's beating on, on this Hebrew. He wants to respond against the injustice. All of those are really good things. All of those fall into this hero category that we have Moses into. And then the next thing that happens is he looks this way and that so that he won't get caught doing what he knows he shouldn't do. It looks this way and that. And I think the idea that we're to get here is that, yes, Moses is being raised up as the leader. Moses is being raised up as the rescuer. He was, he was saved in the basket. 
But Moses is like you and I. Moses is not perfect, but Moses is flawed. And we'll continue to see Moses' flaws as we carry on. But Moses is flawed. He knew. He looked this way and that before he struck down the Egyptian. And that's the next thing I want us to look at in verse 12. Moses strikes down the Egyptian. He sees injustice and he responds. He rescues. He, he sees what's going on. He sees this Egyptian beating the Hebrew man. And he decides, I can do something about this. This cannot stand any longer. And he looks this way and that and kills the Egyptian. Rescues the Hebrew, rescues the Israelite. In his own power, in his own strength, in his own effort, Moses is able to rescue this Hebrew man who is being beaten. That's a good thing. In fact, as Stephen talks about this killing, Stephen does not, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen does not allude at all to this being a wrong killing, an unjustified killing. But I think the picture is that Moses, with his own strength, with his own power, with his own efforts, trying to rescue the Hebrew people, realizes I think we all realize that it's futile, that he's not going to be able to do it. Moses does not have an army. He's not going to be able to one-on-one -on -one go after all of the Egyptian oppressors and look this way and that and kill them and hide them in the sand. Moses is not going to be able to depend on his own strength. He's not going to be able to depend on his own abilities. And yet, that is almost always how we do it. God begins to stir in us and we begin maybe even to have compassion. We have pity. We rise up against injustice and we think, now it's up to me. I think that was what Moses did that day as he stood on the sand. Now it's up to me. This is my job. And in fact, the next day he, he comes out and he comes and sees two Hebrews arguing together. And he says, I am the rescuer. I'm going to step in and I'm going to help these two now and fix their problem. And he rises up again against injustice and, 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 and shows compassion and, and tries to break up the fight between the two Hebrews. And yet even there, he sees that his own efforts are in vain. He can't even, he can't even help there. He's rejected by his own people. He's rejected even as he tries in this second instance to help his people. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me just as you killed the Egyptian? I think as that comes, he's, he's struck. He's afraid instantly. Moses, Moses is scared. He's not going to be able to do what he had wanted to do. He had, he had wanted to help his people. He had wanted to rescue them. He had wanted to, to, to do what he felt like maybe even God was calling him to do. And yet, in all of his strength and in all of his efforts, he was unable to do it. Moses is afraid, I think, because he knows he can't do what he wants to do. And he's afraid for his life. Pharaoh is going to hear what's happened. Pharaoh is gonna, going to see that Moses has sided with the Hebrews and not with the Egyptians. 
that Moses has chosen a side. That's part of what Stephen tells us too. That Moses has chosen a side and he's not on the side of the Egyptians. He's rejected. He's, he's turned his back on the Egyptians and now the Hebrews are turning their back on him. He's rejected by his own people. So Moses, after he strikes down the Egyptian in, chapter, in verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15, we see that Moses then flees. Moses runs. Moses hears that what he has done is out, that Pharaoh has heard it, that Pharaoh is going to come after him, and he runs for his life. He flees. He gets as far away as possible. He runs to the land of Midian, and when he gets there, he comes upon this well and waits by the well. He doesn't have any idea, I don't think, what he's going to do or where he's going to go. And so he has decided the best place for him to stop is where there's water in the desert. And so he stops and he sits down by the well. And while he's there, the priest of Midian has seven daughters who come to water their flock. They go through the whole process of, of drawing the water out of the well, of filling, the, filling the, the troughs full of water. And as they do that, as happens, I think, happens often, the shepherds arrive with their flocks and they shoo the girls away and shoo their flocks away so that they can come and drink up all of the water that's been drawn out of the well and put into the troughs. And Moses, again, sees this, rises up against injustice, pities those who are being oppressed, pities them, has compassion on them, and chase away the shepherds, chases away their flocks, and then helps to replenish whatever's been taken out of the troughs. He himself, Moses, helps to water the girls' flocks. They get back home the girls get back home and their dad is surprised to see them because on most days they go they fill the troughs the shepherds arrive they have their flocks drink all the water and then the girls probably fill the trough up again and feed their own flocks but today they're back early and rule says why are you back so soon and they they share there was a man who protected us he chased away he chased away the shepherds he saved us he helped us to water our flock Moses was moved by compassion and stands against injustice even, even when he's not in his home territory. And we see here that Moses is shown favor. Moses is given grace from God. He meets with Raoul. He calls him. He says to, to come back. We, we find later that, that Raoul's name is Jethro. We find out later in Exodus Moses' soon-to-be father-in-law. Jethro is a, is a priest, it says. Jethro probably, Raul probably, is, is a friend of God. That's what his name means, friend of God. He, he isn't living in Egypt. He isn't a part of those Egypt, or Israelites that are being oppressed in Egypt, but he's part of the family of God. He's a friend of God, and Moses is shown favor both from Jethro and from God. He's brought in to that family. He's, he's given a wife. He has a son, Gershom. And Moses 
Moses is blessed in this time. But the clock keeps ticking. We're going to see in chapter 3 that, that it was 40 years for, for, from, from when Moses was drawn out of the basket until he, until he looks out and sees the Egyptian beating the Hebrew. That's 40 years, but this, the rest of this passage is 40 more years. The rest of this passage is 40 more years. And by the time in chapter, we pick up again with Moses in chapter 3, 80 years have passed from the baby being drawn out of the basket. 80 years of enslavement and oppression have continued for the Israelites. 80 years have passed. And in those years, while Moses is shown favor and grace, while God has been blessing Moses, bringing him into this family, helping him to, to have a father-in-law who is, who is a friend of God, to, to, to gain a wife, to have children, even in the midst of all of that, Moses feels forgotten and alone. We see that through the naming of his son. She gives birth to a son, it says in verse 22, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. He's forgotten and alone. For 40 more years, he's in the desert. For 40 more years, he's in Midian. For 40 more years, he's outside of Egypt. And so in those 40 years, I think he cried out to God, feeling forgotten and alone. Moses did all of these things. Moses Grew up, Moses looked out, Moses struck down an Egyptian, Moses fled and helped. But Moses is not the main character in this story. We see that starting in verse 23. During the many days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. And God, it says in verse 24, God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. It's not about what Moses did. It's not about what Moses is going to do. This story in Exodus, not even the story in Exodus, the story in all of Scripture is not about those characters. It's about God. God is the one who heard their groaning. God is the one who remembered his covenant. God is the one who sees the people, and God is the one who knows. That's the picture, I think, that Moses wants us to see here. Yes, God is raising up. Yes, God is raising up a rescuer. Yes, God is raising up one who is going to lead his people out of Egypt. Yes, Moses is a key part of this whole story, but it's not about what Moses did. This is about God. God heard. God remembered. God saw and God knew. This, those phrases, I think, are so important for us. And God hears. God hears our groaning, even, even when it's been 80 years since the baby is born and plucked out of the basket. God hears their groaning and hears their cries. And God remembers his covenant, the covenant he made with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God remembers 
God never forgets. We saw that in, in Psalm 111 today. It says God always remembers his covenant. It said in Psalm 111. God remembers. And he's not slow in keeping his promises. Even though there are lots of times that we think he's slow. God's time is not our time. His economy is not our economy. God is not slow in keeping his promises. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant and he saw the people. God sees. He hears us. He remembers us and he sees us. But maybe even better than all of those things is the end of verse 25. God sees the people of Israel and God knew. And God knew. God knew even in the midst of the unknown, even in the midst of the oppression, even in the midst of the slavery, God knew and God knows. I hope you find that helpful this morning. God hears our groanings. He remembers his covenant. He sees us and God knows us. The worship team's gonna come. As I mentioned at the beginning, Moses wants the readers of Exodus or the hearers of Exodus as they would have heard it first. He wants the hearers of Exodus to remember both how God was working for them He wants them to see the picture of God providing a rescuer for them. But I think, again, the grand story of this is not just Moses being selected and prepared to be the rescuer of the Israelites. But the whole picture is for all of us. I hope that as we read through this, I hope as you saw it today, that that you see and remember a child Scripture tells us grew up in wisdom and stature and had to be about his father's business. That you see and remember the prince who left the throne room and condescended to identify with an oppressed people. I hope that you see and remember a rescuer who was rejected by his own people who even some said, who do you think you are, the king of the Jews? I hope that you remember and you see a redeemer who was tempted and tried in the desert, not for 40 years, but for 40 days, making him into who God wanted him, needed him, planned for him to be as the rescuer and redeemer. I hope that you see and remember a savior who felt alone and despised and forgotten and forsaken. I hope that you see that God knew and while we were still sinners, God sent his son, Jesus, so that we might have a way, so that we might have a redemption, so that we might have a rescue. The story of Exodus is not just about the Israelites being rescued out of Egypt, but the story of Exodus is about you and I being rescued out of sin and brought into the family of God. I hope that you might rejoice in that together this morning.
Please stand as we worship together today. the hand of God in the light of creation's grand design in the lives of those who prove his faithfulness who walk by faith and not by sight by faith our fathers roam the earth with the power his promise in their hearts of a holy city built by God's own hand, a place where peace and justice reign. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our souls reward till the race is finished. And the work is done We walk by faith and not by sight By faith the prophets saw a day When the longed for Messiah would appear With the power to break the chains of sin triumphant from the grave by faith the church was called to go in the power of the spirit to the lost to deliver captives and to preach good news in every corner of the earth we will stand Children.
benediction today comes from Psalm 33. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Thank you for coming this morning.